Welcome to the Recruiter Startup Podcast. My name's Dulta Doherty, and in this podcast series, I will be speaking to investors, advisors, entrepreneurs, and recruiters who are based all over the world, and we'll be discussing how to set up, scale, and operate a world-class recruitment company. Today, you're in for a bit of a treat. I'm going to bring you to Ottawa, where I'm going to be speaking to a former colleague called James Baker. We uh, we worked at the same company for a brief moment. I had basically like a cup of coffee there before leaving and setting up my own business. But he had lots of success in everywhere he's been. And he's taken all that experience and he's asked himself one question. How can he fix recruitment to serve the needs of his client? And he's figured out a model that works with that. Lots of interesting stuff in this podcast. James speaks very eloquently about his experience and his journey, how they don't cold call anybody, how he hires zero salespeople, how and what technology they use to assess and find fit and retain the right talent and we go into a lot of detail on that and i think i took him into some deep waters on it but uh but he knocked it out of the park like the true pro he is so over to james what a smooth smooth operator James Baker, how are you? I'm very well, my friend. How are you? Very good, very good. Um, how is the weather over there in Ottawa? Uh, well, you know, it's a traditional Canadian day here, so I think we've got about 30 centimetres of fresh snow. It looks like uh, I'm going to have to grab my snowboard this weekend. It's uh, one of life's miseries that I have to kind of endure on behalf of living here in this fine country. Talk to me about snowboarding. Do you get out much? Um, well, it depends on how you define much. So if you look at my last month, I've done uh, a backcountry trip, a heli trip, and uh, managed to get some time in with the family as well. So I'm a 35, 40 day uh, a season kind of guy. Oh, that's all right, isn't it? It's not so bad at all. So we, uh, yeah, we're very lucky. I mean, we're, uh, we're in a great place here and here we get five months of this wonderful white uh, stuff that comes down and yeah, I think this weekend it'll be family up in the hills, in the trees, and uh, dodging the trees as best I possibly can. Oh, fantastic. Uh, I suppose for anybody listening, my, myself and James came across each other, I don't know, was it four or five years ago now? It probably will be, yeah. And uh, yeah, when I lived in Canada, and, and we'll probably jump into that li- later in the in the podcast, but we, myself and Charlotte, my wife, constantly debating on whether or not to go back to Canada and well, I'm always recruiting. We're growing. So, you know, if you're interested, I can certainly put an offer sheet together for you. You know, I'm, uh, I'm looking for someone half decent. So, you know, maybe uh, Charlotte probably is the one I should speak to. You. Yeah, definitely. I, I, could, <laughs> I, could use her, uh, I could use her getting back to work. <laughs> <laughs> do, you have day, do you have daycare provided in there as well? We, uh, we can certainly put that into the package. I'm always interested. You know, if we we'll drop a little bit on the relocation yeah. and we'll put a little bit more into the daycare for you. Yeah. You'd only end up doing what you're told if Charlotte worked for you, though. <laughs> it's probably true. She's a, she's a, yeah, she's special. <laughs> yeah. So, Jay, you have been in recruitment since you were a very young man. 
I was 15 years ago this month I got into the business. That's unbelievable because you're like, you're only in your 30s, right? I'm 37, yeah. So I was uh, a little wet behind the ears when I first got into this uh, trade, it's probably fair to say. So talk to me about that. What was that? What was your induction? Where was it? When was it? Well, I'm uh, I'm actually a hospitality guy is where I started. So I uh, I started in the restaurant business. I think uh, as a young man, I had the uh, probably the most stereotypical kind of thing for someone living in the Brashals. I was uh, living and running a pub. So I lived above the pub and I did that for two or three years until a couple of guys who just started their own business. You know, they used to drink there regularly said, hey, James, uh, we think you'd be great in sales. We'll teach you to sell. And so I got into ad sales. And interestingly, my biggest client by revenue was a recruitment company and they were doing recruitment advertising. So this is when you were still putting recruitment ads into newspapers, into magazines on a weekly, monthly basis. And so my first exposure to the business was actually selling to Hayes uh, Montrose back in the day, which was you know, that business I don't think exists. I think it all got merged in. But yeah, that was way back in the early 2000s. I feel like you're too young to be talking about the olden days. <laughs> it depends on the day. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. we talk about the joys of running your own business. But, uh, <laughs> no, it's so, part of the fun journey. So uh, I've noticed that you've gone to back to university recently, which I think you're mental mm-hmm. doing that, setting up your own business. But we'll jump into that. Why yeah. didn't you go originally? Um, different path for me. I was, you know, I was at a, a grammar school in the southwest of England. Um, I, think, I wasn't. I thinking it doesn't sound like a rough accent. No, it doesn't. So, yeah, I, I was fortunate on that side. But no, I was at grammar school. I wasn't one for the education system at that time. Yeah. Uh, I was a wonderfully young, petulant, uh, you know, for a little bit too much piss and vinegar, probably as a young man. So I decided at 16 that rather than listen to you know, common sense and authority, I would just go off and you know, forge my own path. So I left home and, you know, the, you know, it's hospitality. So that was the business. So I just went into it and said, I'll figure out with the rest later. And yeah. It took me a few years to figure it, but um, you know, fortunately, uh, in my early 20s, I kind of landed on my feet and kind of found my uh, my groove in the sales side. Yeah, I, I did seven years in, in hospitality. <sighs> yeah. Good last. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it, 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 almost, <laughs> it almost killed me by the end of it. And, well, it, yeah, I had a little bit kind of slimmer waistline back then because you're actually on your feet all day moving around. Yeah. So there are some positive upsides. But yeah, I always say to people, you know, we hire a lot of people coming out who started the hospitality. You learn to deal with problems instantaneously. You have so no margin of error. So you've got to be on the fly. You've got to deal with a smile on your face regardless of what's going on because yeah. that's the business service. And so I think that actually gave me a good grounding for this space. Yeah, when I was 20, 25, 26, it was uh, yeah. I finished uni, I'd kind of done that whole thing to death and I was in Brussels and I was running a nightclub and it was <laughs> like managing, managing psychopath bouncers. Um, I can say yeah. that now because well, they're obviously not going to be listening. They, uh, they're probably in jail or something. Um, doing that and like trying to keep people from the street off coming in and it was just, it was a real education that anytime I have a bad day now, I'm like, you know what? It's not so bad, you know. Yeah. Life's all right, but that's the hospitality game, and it breeds great recruiters. I agree. And what else? Do you yeah. know what else breeds great recruiters? In my opinion, or in your opinion, so in, in the, the industry's opinion, Hayes breed, oh. breed great recruiters. They do. Yeah, we. Uh, they. I mean, I remember the first twelve weeks there, the training they put us through. Also, I mean, I don't know if you you were Hayes as no. well. So Charlotte worked at Hayes. Uh, I, I started right, at Robert yeah. Walters when Charlotte started at Hayes. Good old day. And, uh, and okay. Charlotte is more 
of an internal focus kind of character. And I, yes. used to, I used to meet her at lunchtime and she'd be crying. I can't do this. <laughs> I can't do this. It won't let me sit down. <laughs> well, he was used to joke, you know, any newbie wouldn't get a chair until they made their first, you know, 10 successful canvas yeah. sculpts. But, uh, but no, I mean, the, the training program they put us through, the 12 weeks that they originally used to put us through. And you know, one of my very best friends did today. I met the first day I started at Hayes. We met at King Cross Station, a guy called Josh. Um, and we're, you know, he was in my wedding party and that, and the relationships and the training they put you through, you know, they push you hard. It's almost like being, it's like you know, being in the army, going after military yeah. academy, exactly military academy. We're going to push you and a third of you are going to fail in the first three months. But if you make it through that, you know what, you're probably going to do all right in this game. Mm, yeah. It's, uh, those early days, getting the recruitment dreams at night. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> you're laughing because you had them. I yeah. did, yeah. I think I still have them now, unfortunately. So I think it's. I'm not sure if that's a recurring nightmare or not, but we'll uh, we can debate that at a different time. But no, it was. Um, I will say, Hayes. You know, they they gave us a great foundation, and even when I, you know, I actually spoke to Robert Walters before I went to Hayes. So I spoke to all of the big companies, and this was obviously you know, 15 years ago now, so 2004. And I remember with Hayes, it was we're a global business. You know, if you do well here, within two to three years, you're going to be able to give yourself a platform to really move your career forward. So here's a path. So, you know, come in, work your tail off, do what you expected, produce good numbers and the world's your oyster. And I think within, what, 18 months of being at Hayes, you know, I was having conversations with them about what they were doing in North America and how they're expanding across the, you know, across that continent. Yeah, and it's a, it's, it's an interesting one. Uh, they, they've, they've actually struggled to put in their blueprint to North America, what they've done in Australia. Agreed. And, uh, and they bought a they bought a company for like a few hundred million or something in the US to try and get mm-hmm. a foot in the other year. I reckon your man's laughing all the way to the bank. It's <laughs> it's it's funny that what what is it about North America that's so different? Uh, well, it's, it's not as crowded, which is kind of nice. Uh, it doesn't rain as much, or at least where <laughs> I am, which is see how so I could look at some of those things. But no, the one thing I'll tell you, and again, we so we're based in Eastern Canada, so our marketplaces are Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal. We do some work in Boston, Chicago. Um, it's less about the hierarchy and about who you know. So it's not about you know you went to school with this person, you went to the right prep school, you went to the right university. You know your dad's friends with this individual. It's more about you have to show some patience in order to win a relationship. But once you have the relationship, as long as you continue to deliver and you continue to execute, you will maintain that trust and relationship. So it's less about the grind of, you know, I have to go for a drink after work with somebody, so I'm going to miss out on an important conversation. It's more about what you say you're going to do, you do, and you're earning keep the trust of people. Do you think that's more a Canadian thing than working the U.S.? Uh, well, with with the U.S. market that we dabble in, we're still finding that, you know, they've got relationships with people. Um, their expectations, there's less patience on delivering on the expectations. Mm. Also, our they're far more litigious or rigorous with regard to the contract terms. So here in Canada, you know, yes, you set out a term of agreement. So we're going to do A through Z for you. South of the border, there, you know, there's an expectation you're going to update them on every single milestone. Mm. You're going to have more of more deliverable management would be kind of part of the market there. But again, they're we find them highly respectful. They just like the urgency more so than the Canadians. Canadians are a little bit more conservative. 
south of the border are US clients, particularly at the C-suite when we're doing that senior work. They want to see decisive mission action. Yeah. Um, so uh, whether that explains their political situation or not is another uh, conversation. And we'll save that. I'll never talk about politics before 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it's uh, it's, it's 2.30 here, so. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Uh, okay, so you, you, you did your initial apprenticeship in Hayes, and mm -hmm. then they got you you got to move didn't you over to canada through yeah. them what was that like what yeah. was that like you know like you were a young enough chap then were you were you, were you yeah. single did you arrive was it hard to find a house like what what was your what was your journey like at that at that early stage um well the first thing was the immigration process back then was really tough so i remember we uh you know we were accepted so we actually donna and i my wife uh, who's now my business partner we we founded our business together we came over together so they bought us over as a couple so we automatically had a relationship somebody that we could share the experience with but i came in very you know, eyes wide open and donna and i agreed we're going to do this for two years if and we're going to commit to two years so whatever happens we're going to enjoy the journey we're going to enjoy the experience we're going to see the country but we're going to put everything on it for two years after two years we'll make a decision we'll come back but you know when i came over we'd never been to canada before we'd never even been to ottawa before we landed at the airport with our suitcases and you know he's had hooked us up with a hotel for a month and that was it and we just said let's go and the hardest part was, you know, trying to find a social scene to go with it. Mm. So it was, you know, it was great. You know, go and see the museums, go and see the sites, go for a drink, go for a meal, you know, jump on a plane and go to another city. But it was finding those comforts in life that were the hardest things. And so finding a social circle. Yeah. Um, Did you not have the camaraderie that uh, that the office brought in in the UK? not not to the same degree because we came into you know we were the only people from the uk in that office we'd come into essentially a new startup and our responsibility was to instill the business processes and systems and really the metrics that were expected in the uk into the canadian market yeah. so you know we had to earn their trust so there's a period of time where you're adjusting to it but were you in a leadership position from the off uh, we were we were called business managers, which at the time was kind of I would guess a mid management. Okay. So we were looked at to train and develop people. Um, but so what I will say though is it all we had to do is put ourselves out there, and within even weeks of arriving, we're suddenly being invited out. And in the UK, you have a close group of friends. In North America, you have a lot of acquaintances. So while it takes longer to find that group of friends and that core group, there's this openness. You know whether it's you know, you see the tailgating where everyone comes together and breaks bread with random people or you go off to, you know, join a social group. There's a there's an openness and a willingness and a comfort in just meeting new people. So we did find that it didn't take as long to start to feel settled here. Mm. Yeah, um, I find it. Uh, uh, Australia was quite the opposite, actually. Um, we were <laughs> we were all in it together. It was like because nice. we were all fighting to get sponsored and to keep our jobs. And then it was to be the number one in the room. And. Uh -huh. So, and a lot of those guys would have been at my wedding, and from we would have played yeah. football. Like we lived in each other's pockets for for a few years, yeah. and uh, actually in Canada, I found it quite the opposite. And that, mm -hmm. that that'll probably bring me on to the common ground that we have. And we've mm -hmm. uh, we've both worked for David Applin Group. I had basically I had a cup of coffee there and moved on. <laughs> <laughs> Your legendary status is still uh, retained, obviously, from that. But, but you, uh, you did, you did five and a half freaking years there. <laughs> I did. I tell you, I'm a tolerant human being. But no, um, I, yeah, it was. 
for me, I mean, you take the multinational, you know, the FTSE 100, you know, his environment. And I will tell you, there is no better training ground than working there where you learn your processes and systems. And for me, it was stepping into a place where I could be more accountable for the overall decisions that are made and how we delivered on our on our expectations. Mm. So it was taking those down. So Applin, when I joined, we were 75, 80 people. You know, the office that they asked me to build out was three. Uh, and, you know, five years later, the company's you know, best part of 200 heads. We're doing 2,500 placements a year. My offices were 20 people in Ottawa. We had another dozen people out on the East Coast. We were building out the Toronto market. So it was less about being part of a system and suddenly having that independence. But without the training ground, I would never have got there. Um, mm. And your, your, your mandate was kind of to come in and sharpen everything up, wasn't it? To kind of... yeah. Like, yeah. let's make it less about a mom and pop's 50-year-old relationships and put in something that can be systemized, essentially. Exactly. Yeah, and so they bought a lot of us in. I mean, if you think about the people they bought in, there's a lot from Robert Harp, a lot from Hayes came in. So it was all about bringing those big company practices. So again, the training ground and the, the need for those people who have grown up in those and had success in those large corporations really resonated with them. And, you know, they made huge strides in a short space of time. Um ultimately you know their direction and my direction didn't necessarily align i think some of those tie into the market and what's happened in the industry and you know you've got to say i know of kind of strong feelings and beliefs about the industry as do i and yeah you know, i don't for me i didn't think they or even the larger corporations were you know, moving the direction i felt the business should go well like the, the, there's just there's certain things that so so my experience with them was i went over on a recce mission and did a ton of interviews and mm-hmm. the most impressive person, uh, the most impressive person I met was uh, Mike Stanfield, was his name? Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, he blew me away. It's just unbelievable. And uh, when I arrived, the oil price crashed the next week and he left. <laughs> and, and, and I have this moment that I'll never forget where I was, I was, I was, I was staying in late and I just, I just kind of started. And they were like, mm, I know we said the tap was kind of quiet, kind of off, but like, do your best anyway, and so we'll see. And I, I, there was a filing cabinet there, nothing was on the computer. And, and, and so I, I was working off some guy's notes, trying to figure out what was what and, and all the rest. And I, and I remember thinking, okay, well, I'll just start calling through people. So I started doing that. And it got to about quarter to six. Well, it was, and, I'd realized I was the last person in the office. I'm thinking, oh, this is a bit odd. And the next thing, the lights went off. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I remember, I remember this moment, I, I, I thought, and I, I, I cursed out loud. I went, you know. And, uh, and the next thing, somebody came in from the other room. She was running, running the executive search team. <laughs> and she goes, ah, you've just figured out what you've signed up for here, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember thinking at that moment, oh my God, what what have we done here? Um, so I, I remember thinking that the timing was just so awful. But then but what's nice is you keep in mind that. So I remember one of the things that we, when we first came over, we actually had success fairly quickly. And it wasn't because we were better than anybody else. It's because our mindset was, well, 
if I'm in here at 7.30 in the morning and I can work till 6.30, 7 o'clock at night and I can put a, a real shift every day, you're actually doing 30, 40% more work than anybody else in that office or in that industry, mm. in your space, in that city. So you didn't even need to be that much better than everybody else because your work ethic would get you ahead more times than not. And it's, it still staggers me to the day that that's the reality, that you know, we don't actually have to be better. We are better. But when you combine that, the fact that our output is so much higher, it just makes a huge difference. Mm. And I, but I remember looking at that, like when I look at that business now, I remember thinking, like, there, there was basically 10 people running their own businesses mm-hmm. through the Applin brand with no collaboration in there. And I remember thinking, this is just a, this is a weird setup. But what it ultimately led me to do was to go, actually, I'm just going to do my own brand and set up yeah. my own business. So. I'm, I'm forever thankful that I went in there and went, okay, actually, the carpet ladder isn't for me. The boutique ladder isn't for me. I'm, I'm actually going to have to just set up my own company. And that was, that was what pushed me to do it. <laughs> Fascinating. You know, it uh, took me a little longer to realize that, though. So I guess uh, you're, 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 you're a much more amenable character, though. You know, <laughs> things aren't going wrong. I'm blowing the place up. So, it's just from being from the different island. That's just what makes the difference. For you, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> So you've had this big business experience, right? Where, yeah. and you're the type of character I've seen you on stage, and and you're you're pretty you're pretty smooth operator. Like you could have worked your way up to the mm-hmm. top of either company if you had a stroke out. Yeah. Um, and some very few people are able to kind of grease the right channels and do all the work mm-hmm. that's needed for that, and like to keep everything together and to, to handle the pressure and the politics and all of that. But you're somebody who has all that. But yet something inside you made you go out on your own. What what mm-hmm. led to that? Well, there was two things. And again, you talk about market downturns. I remember in 2009 when the market really dropped out the first time and I saw how the large corporate treated the employee base. So it wasn't, you know, the decision came out, you know, the markets crashed. So here's a line in the business. Everyone below this line is gone tomorrow. And it was basically a house clearing exercise. There was no concern for the people. And that was my first... You know, I, I left the large corporates because I because they for me at that stage, they it wasn't about the people. It wasn't about the people we replaced. It wasn't about the people who were working there. It was a business. It was a pure, cold, hard business decision. I get it. I respect it. I understand it. But that wasn't for me. So I went to the boutique thinking, OK, this is going to be more about the people. But again, it's to your point, it's individuals running businesses within a framework you know is a bit nicer there's a you know people there's a welcoming and there's a warmth you know there is a care and attention but ultimately it didn't change the way that we treated the people we work with and constantly through the onset of technology with the tools at our disposal with the way companies are operating where it's less patience for people to build up and train and develop in their roles more and more commoditization started to come about and we were making you know, 2,500 placements a year, which is terrific. You know, we were, you know, working with a lot of people, but we were losing a lot of clients every year. And so for me, I was looking, why are we working so hard? Why are we spending so much money? Why are we doing so much business development when we seem to be losing, you know, a quarter to a third of our customers every single year? And it, and it dawned on me, it was actually, ironically, we just won an award for a best managed company. And um, <laughs> I remember speaking to the individual that ran the awards program and, I said to him in my way that I do, I said, let me buy you a beer. I'd love to pick your brain because 
you know, I wanted to find out another new contact, love to understand from him what sets different companies apart. And he just said to me, he said, I don't like your industry, James. I said, well, that's very kind of you to say. Thanks. I, said, I appreciate buying you the beer now. But he said, but let me explain why. He said, I don't think your industry truly answers the question that your customers are asking you. And he said, I want you to go and think about that. I'm not going to give you the answer to that. So I suddenly had this obsession to say, well, what is it we want? And so my answer, you know, which there was a few margaritas drunken here and there and a few conversations with people, but we realized that we were spending our entire lives making placements for a living. Every single company we worked with was asking us to find them a successful employee. So for me, the entire business model at Flynn Hayes was driven towards making placements. Make a placement, get out there as quick as possible, short guarantees, and fingers crossed the person works out. So there was no accountability beyond you know, a 12 or 16 week period for the success of that person. So if they went wrong after six months, seven months, eight months, we were blamed because we'd made in their eyes a poor placement, which meant they went elsewhere and took their business elsewhere. So I decided to my uh, delight of my wife that we should walk away from, you know, you know, vice president level role, nice, secure income, great business, good upward trajectory, as you say, that I could do very well in the business and throw it all away and basically earn nothing for a couple of years to build our own company where we could go from just placing people to actually trying to support the success of the people we place. So we came up with a model we call Find, Fit and Retain, where we only headhunt talent. We use deep psychometrics and fit and kind of team dynamic tools to assess their, how they will work in an organization. Then we have a whole host of business coaches, psychologists, and HR consultants that work with every place for up to one year after they uh, start with a new company. And we guarantee everything for a year. So for me, it was just, I didn't think the model was right. So I, I made the choice that the only way I can create the model is to build my own business. And uh, it was still the best and the dumbest thing I've ever done in my entire life. I think you understand what that model is because it's very easy to say a lot of things. Yeah. Is to go into how, how you price that. Yes. We do it for the same price as a regular uh, search firm in our industry. So our prices are, we start at 22%. Our top end is 30%. Uh, we have a one-year guarantee with every placement. And we invest 20% of our fee back into the post-placement process. So we spend on some of our senior level roles anywhere between twenty-five dollars and $30,000 on post-placement support for our executive placements. Very clever. So essentially, you're charging above mar- mar- market average fees. Mm-hmm. And then, but, but the money, the extra money that you're doing, that you're making, you're investing that back into making sure that the customer yeah. comes back and is happy. Yeah. Exactly. Well, the average fees now where we are, I mean, the US market right now is 25 to 30% average fees. I mean, because we work, you know, we don't do any transactional, we do kind of mid tier and upwards. And mm. um, so we're actually priced at the same level as our three major competitors, yet we do infinitely more work for them. And the reason is because we don't have any salespeople to work for us. You know, we made the choice that we are stop, we are not going to sell our business. We have a zero cold call business model. So we do not make cold calls in our organization. How do you win business? Uh, purely referral so we went out and we had three customers the day we started the people that we've known had relationships with and we said we're gonna we're gonna work with you and we want you to do us a favor if we do everything we say we're gonna do will you put in touch put us in touch with three other people you think will benefit from our service and we've done that every single time we've worked with the clients since we started and still to this day three years after launching we have 150 plus clients every single one of them came through referral fantastic um, is it is it retained work or contingency that you do? Uh, only retained. We don't do any contingent. Okay, and is, was that a, was that from day one? Yeah, from day one. So did, so those three people 
got you off the ground essentially yeah. financially and it, it snowballed from there you never had any cash flow worries in your first year uh, not enough. Well, we just didn't pay ourselves, so it's very easy not to have cash flow worries when you don't pay pay yourself. But um, you know, we made the decision when we launched that you know we we squirreled away some savings and we said, look, we've got enough money to survive for for two years without drawing an income from the business. So we are not going to make any business decision based on our own personal need for money. We're going to make every decision based on the needs of the business um, because you know we knew we would survive. So we've had. We've been in business now, what, 40 months, I guess. You know, only one month have we ever lost money in the 40 months that we've been in, in business. And we now employ 24 people. You know, we grew by 500% last year. We are, you know, we're now expanding into multiple markets. And it was about building that right foundation and, we're, and sticking to our philosophy. So you talk about contingency. Every day for the first 18 months, people would call us when we were scrambling and trying and trying to prove to people our point giving us saying well just take this contingent order take this order on and we will always say no we will not do anything that falls outside of what we believe is the right way to deliver success for our clients fantastic um i suppose the way to understand the mechanisms mm-hmm. then because you've, you've explained the pricing which mm-hmm. very clever I'll give you props for that james <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Is, is 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 the type of people that you hire within those 20 mm-hmm. yeah like if they're not salespeople, who are they what are they uh, so the last person I hired was uh, an ex-Canadian spy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so uh, so we look for the high EQ scores. You better not be having an affair out there. That <laughs> 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 was great. Uh, but no. So he was you know, responsible for securing assets overseas for the Canadian military. All right. So, you know, the person we hired before that was originally, she started her career as a substance abuse counselor, working with people, understanding who they are, how they're wired, what they need in order to move forward. I have an industrial psychologist on my team. I have two HR professionals. I have, oh, cracky, what else do we have on our team? We hire graduates who are going, you know, coming through EMBA programs, MBA programs. So we, we don't go out and hire people that can sell. We go out and hire people who can build true relationships and have the poise and grace to work at a border level. Mm-hmm. So everybody must have that capacity, in my opinion, to be able to walk into a boardroom with an executive group, the board, the ownership, the management group, and be able to give them sage advice and counsel on the why somebody is or is not going to be successful within their organization. And that's like human intelligence, EQ, that we really look for do you, to drive our support. So you feel that that's more of something that yeah. is given rather than learned? or uh, I think it's, in, it's an innate ability that you can then develop and you can train. So people have an instinct. Uh, you know, they can, they can assess who somebody is, what they're about. Um, and what we do is we use evidence, uh, evidence-based psychology and science to back up our assumptions. So, for example, we built technology that can do predictive psychometrics on people before we meet with them. So we can challenge our, our thoughts on who they are based on the way we interview them. We do the same on the employers. We actually match our clients to our consultants based on a psychological profile. So we don't actually just say, hey, daughter, it's your turn. You've got next next search that's coming in. We look at what is the psychological makeup and profile of our customer and who would work best with them from our perspective. Because that relationship is critical. So, so how are we managing those people? Like, how are you training? The, if business development isn't part of it, mm-hmm. what does their training look like to get them to, to the point where they're at? It's, it's all mentorship. So, yeah, everything's done. So we hire people and basically you know, we give them a year till they get to the point where they're going to be capable of running a search on their own grounds. So whether some people have the 
you know, the ability to get up to speed in three months, six months, nine months, you know, those, there's different personal learning cycles, um, but they work under our very best people who are responsible for developing those underneath them. So it starts very simply. So, you know, we always talk to a minimum of 200 people per search that we do. So, you know, it starts with conversations with 200 prospective candidates. It then, you know, it's moving on to interviewing the 50 people that have expressed interest in the mandate. Is then moving into, we're going to take the top 15 and 20 and put them through essentially grilling to understand how they are, how they're wired, to eventually get to our shortlist and then present the shortlist to the client and then manage the interview process with the client. So everything we do is codified. Every process, every step that we take, everything is codified so that there is a recipe for success, which they can be trained on, and then they can express their personalities beyond that training. Can you explain what codified means? Yeah, so basically we have a if you can imagine the life cycle of a project from the day the client says, I will work with you until one year after they've been working for that company, mm-hmm. every step of that journey is now got a process that's been defined for it. So it could be as simple as, you know, we are booking uh, interviews with our client. We are going to send, here is the agenda you're going to send to the client. Here are the questions that you're going to explore to suggest the right questioning logic for the client in this situation. Here's the venue they're going to use. Here's going to be the, the agenda right down to what time they're taking a coffee break. Everything is codified. Mm. So we used a development mindset and to say, you know, if I was giving this to a developer to say, build technology for this, they could actually look and follow our process map and build all the modules we need. Very good. And is this, is there a certain niche that you're, that you're focused on? Yeah, we do. Uh, we don't touch, and touch anything in the public sector. So we are purely private sector focused. Vast majority of our clients are either VCs, venture capital, or private equity backed high growth companies. Uh, we do a lot of work within real estate companies, so a lot of developers, construction organizations, and um, we also do a fair amount of work with family businesses because um, you know, there's different dynamics at play in the family business that it helps having the psychologist on the team for. And But there's not a certain job category that you go after? Nope, nope. So we have a process that we believe can be applied to anything so rather than specializing within a you know an industry or a, or in a segment we basically specialize in we are exceptional at finding talent we're exceptional at marketing to that talent and then and assessing their fit for an organization so that's our expertise well you've explained the third part um mm-hmm. but the first part what how, how do you how do you find your talent what makes you exceptional at it uh, we basically we have, we built our own technology to do it. So we have you know strong data mining technologies. So yeah, we yeah we get a mandate from a client. I don't know someone emails me now and says, "Hey James, find me a new director of IT." Um, within two hours of getting that search, we can map every single director of IT who has worked in or potentially could transition into that industry. We can look at their career trajectory to predict whether they would be stepping into this job. And so we'll identify between 800 and 1,200 profiles using that tech. Mm. Well, then we use prediction algorithms that suggest the top 300. Then I give those 300 to our research and marketing team, and then they go off and start engaging in conversations with them. So we are actively using modern technologies and recruitment in order to build a large talent pool so that we can spend more time actually talking to people um and at what point so so it sounds like so that that all that all that all sounds great how do you build your own technology do you like how did how did you go about that expensive yeah that sounds like it's expensive uh well it was are you one of these characters that goes down rabbit holes and 
I do. I love going around. But no, so it actually came back from, so we started September 2015. Yeah. And we started to get really busy around May of 2016. So we suddenly had this issue where Don and my wife is the best headhunter I've ever worked with. So suddenly we couldn't find anybody as good as Donna who was willing to work for an early stage startup for you know, limited money, essentially. So we said, what's other ways of doing it? So we started to look at automating some of the processes. So I went to, we worked with a lot of you know, early stage tech companies. I said, hey, here's my issue. You know, we're trying to find two to 300 candidates for this job who we know if we reached out to all of them, 40 or 50 would say they want to talk to us. Do you have any online scraping technology that can start to find these profiles for us so that you know, I don't have to get Donna spending 20 hours doing research? Someone said, sure, I built that for you. So they did. They did that as a favor for us. Next, I said to somebody I know who does AI, hey, you need to hire a data scientist. Why don't I find you a data scientist and you build a algorithm for me that can predict which of these candidates would be worthwhile? So we built a very you know, baseline, you know, minimum viable product technology very early on. Mm. And then what we did is we applied for grants, research credits. We So you know, we are now using essentially uh, these wonderful government programs to subsidize our own development of our technology. And, you know, our aim was always to find a way to build something that could satisfy 80% of the hiring needs for our clients without them even having to come to us mm. so that we could focus on the 20% of business critical recruitment needs they have. So are you, are you still a recruitment business or are you a rec tech business that's, that's found proof, proof of concept? <laughs> oh, I like that. Um, I'd like to think that we're bridging that gap now. I mean, we, my dream would be to be a talent consulting business. I don't believe... You know, finding people is not that hard anymore. Giving them a compelling reason to join an organization is actually the artistry that we perform. So, you know, convincing you that you should come work for Keynote Group, you know, that's the art in what I do now. Because it's easy to find you. I can find your profile, you're online, you've got tons of marketing. You can see that you are somebody we should be talking to. But that compelling reason is the key thing. Beyond that, it's then managing the experience you have working in that organization. You're going to be expected to hit deliverables early and often. So we want to get to the point where we can provide the training, the coaching, the guidance um, around all of the talent challenges an organization faces. That's where I think we'll end up. So whether that's using tech, so we have an onboarding tool as well that helps monitor onboarding performance of a new hire. We have a search tool that helps us find more people. It should be an integrated professional services business with you know technology advantages. Will you be the person who's holding that technology to create your, like to develop your own brand or will you be selling that technology to we'll other, be selling it. other services? So we already have, uh, right now we've got it being trialed by a number of other tech, another, a number of other private companies. Um, our hope is that we will be able to completely commercialize it and then start reselling it to other firms. You know, we've been doing testing now for about the last six months uh, and there's a good chance that we'll, uh, We'll have this to market at some point later this year. If only you knew a good podcast where you could sponsor. And you know, if I sat here and said, hey, look, you know, Kate is the next great thing in you know, headhunting and recruitment. And I can find a way this could be on iTunes. That would be a really good kind of plug. But uh, that would be so shallow of me. I wouldn't dream of doing that. <laughs> yeah. um, so how are you going to take over the world? What's next? I'm not going to take over. I'm going to build this business, make it successful and, you know, then position it so somebody else can bring in the next level score so i'm a builder you know whether it was my time at you know in media sales whether it was my time at hayes whether it was my time at Applin, i like building things so there'll be a time where i'm no longer the right person to drive keynote forward so you know i'm looking forward to bringing i just hired a coo you know i'm hoping he will replace me at some point so we can do the next thing and i can become a snowboard bum uh, while keynote continues to thrive and prosper and 
you know, my ownership stake will allow me to have a, you know, maybe the odd heli-ski trip in there as well. Sounds amazing. Um, before we go, anything else in go the on. industry right now that's caught your attention? Uh, you know, I just, I think, you know, the one thing and we're having a lot of conversations at the moment is chatbots, you know, and how, you know, large corporations we're seeing now are using, you know, AI technology to do initial screening interviews with candidates. So we had an instance recently where, a client was using Skype chatbots where you were doing phone interviews with AI rather than with a natural human. So it's fascinating how we're moving towards this technology shift so quickly. Mm. You know, historically, um, I mean, you're old enough to remember this as well, but you know, when, when I started, we were faxing resumes. You know, then it was somebody started this thing called Monster and the recruitment industry was supposed to end. And it was, then somebody came up with LinkedIn. And again, the recruitment industry was supposed to end. And now it was, well, AI is going to replace the recruitment industry. We know we the industry will continue to exist. How it shifts and how it pivots in order to deliver value is the key thing. Mm. So, you know, if we don't have to be pre-screening people where are we bringing value to the recruitment process yeah. for me i'm fascinated to see what companies do to help the success of the people they place that's why i see it a lot of the emphasis right now or whether they decide to become you know more technology focused and you know provide ways to add value to you know more of a SaaS model where you've got upselling consulting services on the back end but uh, i think industry's up for an interesting ride, particularly in the next correction, which will happen, I think, here in North America in the next two, three years. You know, where do these large corporates go in particular? Yeah, it's uh, it's it is it is ever changing. I mean, mm -hmm. there, there was Gary V had a speech the other day in, in Dubai talking about like if anybody uh, hands up here who enjoys answering phone calls from strangers. <laughs> and uh, and no, obviously nobody did. And who who gets annoyed? And everybody puts their hand up. Yet we're still focused on doing this. Yeah. Sooner or later, that's going to come hard on this industry, especially with younger mm -hmm. people who haven't grown up using their phone to speak on. Mm -hmm. So so we we definitely have to prepare for that. The technology piece, I think, it, we a lot of it's going to get automated. Mm -hmm. Being able to market to those people and build trust. I think like the, the likes of chatbots and that, I mean, they just, they, they, they're not there yet for me no. to be worried about, about that. But I feel like we will turn more media heavy. So mm -hmm. like we, we, we'll probably, like a lot of the big firms are so far behind, but like Hayes, Hayes should have the best media channel going in recruitment. They should be yeah. putting content out for, from every recruiter, documenting everything that's happened. Yet they're not. They're yeah. they're afraid of what what would happen, what would what what someone would say, what they're and and because we're scaling these companies so fast to try and get up to a certain size, and so many people are getting burned on the entry, that mm -hmm. those people complain. So they're worried of the bad media backlash and it's it's as you said they haven't figured out the solution yeah that's you know i i think it's going to become more of an ecosystem i think you know we're going to see firms like ours continue to specialize whether it's in you know, we are we are a process-based company so other people are going to lean on our process and we're seeing more and more people reaching out to us for partnerships and so you know ways that we can work together so you'd be good at this james and we're going to be good at that and 
So the large corporates really fail. They're very closed off. And they say, hey, we have a wall around us. We're not going to tell you what's happening within these walls. We're not going to share with anybody else. It's ours and ours alone. And I think that's the mistake. Those walls need to come down, um, particularly now where it's so much easier. I, you know, We had a project recently come up and some said, hey, can you help us in South America? Within an hour, I'm talking to three firms in South America about what we could do to help transition a client to work with them south of the border. That couldn't happen before. Mm. Now it can. There's no limitations to where I can perform work and services just because I'm based in Austria in Canada. It doesn't stop me working in Boston, Massachusetts. It's not stopping me tra- traveling to Vancouver to deliver work on the west coast of Canada now. Um, those large corporates need to realize that we are far more agile and nimble as small businesses, and they've got to do more to compete with that or to leverage that uh, and use their own networks and their markets more effectively. But uh, I think it's going to be, I actually think it's going to be a fun kind of five to 10 years. And as I say, um, hopefully the outcome for me is I'm on a snowboard somewhere in some deep snow somewhere and, uh, you know, keynote group continues to thrive. And, you know, I will tell you that at the end of the day, it's still a journey and it's still an adventure. And if it doesn't work out, you know, I'm, I'm, I have no regrets whatsoever from uh, starting my own thing. You know, I think, you know, if it went completely sideways, I could probably pick up the phone, call you, and you can find me a great job somewhere closer to a mountain. Yeah, if you want to source uh, source some recruiters for me, you know, but, uh, <laughs> we're, we're always always looking to to get the next the next good good guy out of Hayes. You know, you could you could position how great it was to leave and all of that. But, uh, yeah, but James, sure thanks so much for, for for speaking to me. Um, I expect to see you on the Rec Tech tour, mm. doing all this in the UK and coming, having a bit of a homecoming fanfare and to be speaking at all the the expos in the future. It sounds like you're really onto something, and uh, I wish you all the best. Excellent. It's always great to talk to you, and uh, thanks so much for putting this together. Take care, pal. See you soon. Bye bye. Well, a massive thank you to James for coming on the podcast. Speaking to James brings me back to living in Canada and what that experience was like. Coming from a big agency in Australia, I was working for Robert Walters and things went well for me there. And I could do no wrong from a billing perspective and just just had a great entry into recruitment. And I kind of remember going over being a bit pig-headed and feeling like I was a bit of a superhero and I was brought down to ground hard in Calgary when the oil and gas crash happened and when I realised I joined a boutique that was basically seven other people just running their own business and I'd have no candidates, no clients and really the local economy had just shot. So it was it was an interesting time. But I remember that James came for a conference that we went to and I had one foot out the door at this stage. So I wasn't really paying attention to much of what was going on because I kind of lost belief in anything that I was sold at the time, as, as what happens, you know. And James got on stage and he delivered this amazing talk. You know, by the end of it, I, I could have sworn I was he was working in a completely different country, co- company. You know, he... Uh, just just his delivery is is phenomenal and and in this podcast very impressive you know I, I brought him into some deep waters there on how they go about things how they're different like and he, he was able to really get into the minutiae of the detail of what they've done and how they've developed it and he sounds like somebody 
who goes into a real rabbit hole uh, to find solutions. And he's done that and managed to build his business and fix the problem that he set out to fix. So fair play to him. Really enjoyed it. And I think anybody who listens to this can understand that James is going to go somewhere. This is going to be a big exit at some stage. And it was a great insight into how somebody's career can develop if they move abroad, if they leave a big agency and go to a boutique and then set up their own business. And, you know, they, they, they keep an open mind. They try and take all the stuff that they've learned on their journey uh, to create something that is shaped in their image. So fair play to him and his wife. I wish them all the best for the future. And I'm really grateful for them coming on the podcast. What a great episode.